You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Markotti. Now, before we begin, do not forget you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. The only way you get to see the goals quicker is if you're actually there. In the studio today, I am delighted to say that we've got Tony Cascarino, Tony Evans, and down the line from his conservatory, in beautiful Rippenden, the 17th best place in the country to live, it's Ollie Kay. So let's get right into it and uh, start off with Chelsea and Arsenal. Schürrle, Eto's there as well, goes one way, still Schürrle, Schürrle shoots and scores! It's 2-0 to Chelsea, seven minutes gone! Okay, so it's um, Arsene Wenger's 1,000th game in charge. Um, Ollie, you had some interesting things to say about that in your column on Saturday. We'll get to Wenger and his impact, but it was a 6-0 whitewash. I think you used the, the phrase, stir the soul, Ollie, referring to Chelsea and how apart from Eden Hazard, they don't really stir your soul. That was written on Friday for Saturday's paper, and, and when you write that, you know you're hostage to fortune, and you know that um, there's a pretty strong likelihood that Chelsea will <laughs> come flying out of the blocks and, and, and perform in a manner that they haven't done all season. I mean, that first 20 minutes, I mean, yes, I think we could all say Arsenal were pathetic and, and, and limp and meek, just as they had been against Liverpool in the, in the first 20 minutes at Anfield, but... Chelsea for those first 20 minutes were brilliant. I mean, I, I used the phrase handbrake. Chelsea played with a handbrake on a lot of the time. On Saturday, they most certainly took the, uh, the handbrake off and, and they were very aggressive, very tenacious, pressing high up the field. And, and as Liverpool had already shown, Arsenal just don't have the players to cope with that, cut, uh, with that type of game. Chelsea are a big, or Chelsea can be big and physical and they have this blend of that and athleticism and technique. When you saw David Luiz and Nemanja Matic in midfield with the two big dudes, Cahill and, uh, and John Terry behind, I think you told me that you knew which way this was going. Oh, yeah, Chelsea are you know, very, very physical. It's a characteristic of Mourinho teams, and they'll bully people out of games, especially teams like Arsenal. But what, what, what struck me most is the whole the, the madness of Arsenal's approach to a game. You know, they push both full backs up, they leave the centre half stranded, and they just leave themselves so susceptible to, to uh, being broken against. That first goal, it was just... I mean, the, the, essentially, there are two types of goal Arsenal concedes. The one where the centre-earths are on the heels, stranded, the two of them, with no help, and, and people flood around them. And then the other one, where they give, the way the, give away the ball just round the halfway line or just inside their own earth, and they're in trouble again. I, I just can't believe how naive a, a, a team, a Wenger team is, at this stage in his career. A thousand games in, and it looks as if it was his first, first stint at management. Because we've, we've also seen, I mean, in the past, we've seen Arsenal also have a very solid defensive record. I mean, not that long ago before the wheels came off. Well, they did, Gab, but Man City decided to go two up front of them uh, against them at the Etihad. Well, that's not really fair, is no, it? Well, <laughs> they go two up front against Why them. Why do they get they... to have two people up front? Everybody else has to have one. And they Why is that? That's cheating, isn't it? Well, everyone felt that, that Man City had to sacrifice a forward to overload the midfield that Man City needed that because of the way the Arsenal midfield was working. Man City ignored it. 
pressurise their back four. As Tony said, fullbacks are absolutely leaving a space that is just there to be abused. I don't want to say this is because it happens in many, many times in football matches. When team lineups were given on Saturday, the betting market changed to nearly 30% in favour of Chelsea. Everyone was like, wow, Louise and Matic against Corzola, mm. Oxley Chamberlain, Arteta, not much pace. And then with what they do with their fullbacks, they get exposed. And it was so predictable what happened. It was the most, I, when I Before I was watching the game, I was thinking, how's this game going to pan out? Now, obviously, 6-0 was never a fault in my head. But I just felt pressure, intensity, high tempo, going after them. Mourinho's gone, tell you what, this is what this team is not very good at. We're going to do this against them. And forced the players to play like that, which they were quite comfortable in. And the game was just inevitably gone within 15, 20 minutes. And... Arsene Wenger has to be held responsible because the biggest problem I have is that he seems surprised that they did that to them. Was he surprised that Liverpool did it to him? Was he surprised that Man City have done it to him? Now, you can outplay smaller guns who are quite not as gifted technically, who keep the ball not as good as what a Chelsea or Man City or a Liverpool can do. For me, that was the biggest problem. He doesn't recognise that they can't compete against the very best teams once they have a tempo to their game. They get exposed and they were embarrassed. I take on board everything Cass says about the, 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 the strength and the size and the athleticism and the organisation and the intensity. But I, I kind of feel like a lot of teams over the last few years were going with, with skill and, and quickness and perhaps sort of these lighter, more agile teams. We saw Barcelona last night and, you know, they're all midgets except for Gerard Piquet and, um, and, and Sergio Busquets. Are Chelsea just a little bit counter-cyclical or is it the fact that ultimately if you can match up in terms of, of, of uh, technique and you have the size and athleticism, you'll have the upper hand? Well, I think in the Premier League, I think I think to these big games in the Premier League against against Arsenal, against Manchester City, against Liverpool, I, I think Chelsea are extremely well suited. I mean, you know that whether that way of playing football would necessarily get you as many points in, in, in La Liga as Barcelona, whether it would work against Bayern Munich, who knows? Maybe we'll find out in the Champions League. But I, I think what Mourinho has, has done is is made this team very well equipped, very well equipped for the Premier League again. Can I? Blind you with a, a couple of statistics which are, which were in my match report. Twenty four games against the top four in the Premier League under Mourinho, first spell and second spell. They've only lost twice, conceding thirteen goals, basically a goal every other game. In the games when he was away, they lost sixteen out of thirty eight. It just shows that the mentality of this team has changed completely. They've now become a team that relishes and is equipped to play in, in, in those biggest games of the Premier League. That is a point that Chelsea are winning the head-to-heads, Tony, right? That's, is that important? Or is it more important that ultimately they may win the head-to-heads, but then they stink it up at home against West Brom, and they have, if, if City win their games in hand, they're still not first? Well, I mean, I think, I th- I think it's some achievement for uh, Mourinho to have this team so high in the league. He inherited a squad that didn't suit him, very unbalanced squad. 
and and he's um, he's he's created this side which which are improving after after he spends some money in the summer and he gets the sort of players he wants they'll be in uh, they'll, they'll be even better next year and they will be big and they'll be, they will be physical and they will bully people off the pitch yeah, I mean I I I think expecting Chelsea to win the league at the beginning of the season well I didn't anyway I mean anyone who did I thought it was a, a stretch I didn't expect them to be quite as good I thought they'd finish third or fourth well, you thought United were going to win at the start of the season of course. Uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you know, it's. Uh, I thought City would win. You know, it's uh, and Andy should. But that's a different issue. But um, but no, I, I think Mourinho is a fantastic manager, isn't he? You know, for all his all his antics and all his stupidity and all his little ponies inaneness, he's um, he is a fantastic manager. He decided he was going to go have a go at referees and trying to be nicer and kinder because it's such a difficult job. Which is why I waited until this minute of the podcast to bring this up. Andre Mariner. For those who don't know, is a goal-bound shot. An Arsenal player, a light-skinned black man, dives across the goal, perhaps touches the ball, grazes it with his hand. You can debate whether it should have been a, a, a penalty or, or need a sending off or not. Um, it was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and then he sends off Kieran Gibbs, who, apart from the fact that he's wearing an Arsenal jersey and is roughly the same skin color, looks nothing at all. Like Oxide Chamberlain, but like really well, nothing at all. Wait, wait, wait right. The skin colors are red, heaven. You know what? I, I can kind of see his point because you would think in any other team, someone handling in the area in that position might be the left back. You know, yeah, they're, 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 they're wearing numbers. Not with Arsenal. You know, you, your left backs, God knows where the left back was. <laughs> You know, you've got Oxley Chamberlain, who's well. I don't know what position he was playing. But it was the wrong position. But what's he doing back there? I, I, you can kind of understand the confusion. No, if you're you a referee. Can't, because this is a professional referee, and he's got two assistants, and he's got a fourth official. Uh, can, can These I guys just, look nothing like each other. I mean, it's, it's just it's just one, appalling. One thing that I felt strange that if a player comes and tells you yeah, he did it, that's the worst. Why thing. would you not believe him? And what incentive would he have to say? He's, you know, I'm going off. It's obvious that he's saying it's me, and well, he's had to tell him twice it's me. Surely Andre Mayer has to take his word for it. I, not, not just not, that. Why would he lie? Not just that, but think of the implication. If Andre Mariner is 100% certain that it was Kieran Gibbs, and you assume that he must be to send the guy off, and you've got Oxley Chamberlain lying to your face... Then don't you kind of have well, to send refl- him off too? Gab, Gab, that would reflect badly on. Oh, no, sure, exactly. That's what I mean. So just send. <laughs> I, I just didn't. Get Ollie, it. explain it. Come on, you're more clever than we are. <laughs> I wish I was. Um, the, Why does um, this happen? How does this happen? I, I was in the press box at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. I thought from. Uh, let me think. Out how far is it? It's probably about sixty yards from the um, for, for, from the goal mouth. I thought it was very clear from where I was sitting, and I was right in line with it, as, as Mourinho was, because we were right behind him. I thought it was very obvious, first of all, that it was going off target. And I know that only came to light subsequently, if you watch the replay, but from where I was, it was very clearly going on off target. The mistake, I mean, I, I, know, I know we can all sort of say, oh, it's, it's ridiculous to, to, to have the mistake identity thing. I mean, <laughs> the Observer on Sunday apparently had their picture caption wrong. They said, uh, Andre Mariner sends off Alex Oxley Chamberlain after Karen Gibbs handball. I made a very similar mistake while while writing my copy yesterday, which didn't make the paper, thankfully. You know, in, in trying to in trying to relate what had happened. I mean, in terms of what happened on the on the pitch, I can absolutely understand why the referee thought it was Gibbs rather than Oxley Chamberlain. It's just that you know, should we have a situation where 
A, if a player is telling him it's someone else, and, and B, if we have fourth officials now, should the fourth official have access to a monitor? Should the fourth official be able to say, in, in, in the case of an emergency or a you know a major crisis of confusion on the pitch, you know, should the fourth official be able to intervene? Like we all think, yeah, he does. Well, he can intervene with, with, with Zidane, Materazzi, and the. Um, no, no, but but but, but, but Ali, Ali, this is what's galling. I can understand an individual brain lapse. You make a mistake. We're all human. Even you mistook Gibbs for uh, <laughs> for Oxford Chamberlain in your in your copy. Apparently, although I think you're just being polite. But um, no, no, he definitely did. <laughs> but here we have four officials, right? We have we have two assistants. We have a fourth official, and we have Andre Mariner, and they're all looking at the situation. I can understand Andre Mariner making a mistake, but it's difficult for me to understand, A, in light of what Cass said about, you know, Oxley Chamberlain admitting to it and saying, no, it was me, and B, is his relationship with his assistants and the fourth official so rotten, so dysfunctional, that when those people tell him, hey, Andre, you got it wrong, it's not Gibbs, it's Oxley Chamberlain, he wouldn't believe them, or, or maybe they're too scared to tell him? I mean, am I taking this for granted? Like, like that, that they would have told him that he's but got the wrong guy. I mean, I mean, do, do they? A, do they know? And B, well, if they don't know, they shouldn't be referees. One person can make a mistake. You can't have all four making a mistake I mean, at the same time. I mean, what are the odds? That's a situation in the penalty area, in the middle of the penalty area that Mariner was close to. You wouldn't necessarily think that the the linesman at the other end of the pitch or the fourth official um, is monitors aren't allowed. That, that they should, should be spotting that. The fourth so official, the, the fourth official, was roughly where you are, Ollie, and you saw it, right? Yeah, no, but I, I, I couldn't have told you who it was. I, I, well, I you couldn't see the guy's shirt was, number. Well, yeah, because it, it, it was, to, it was to the back, and, and you know, I, I would have assumed, I would have assumed that it was, um, that it was Gibbs rather than say Chamberlain. But as I say, that's that's probably putting a, a little bit too much faith in the um, positional discipline of of Arsenal's fullbacks on Saturday. Well, he's not a referee. You used to be one, Tony. So things happen fast. You know, you you you're running. You're running a full pelt. You know, people are running everywhere. There's chaos. He handles the ball. Chelsea players are flood around him, screaming. You know, it's 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 really easy. It's confusing. Right. And I don't think this is a big deal. He sent the wrong player off, and you know. It happens so rarely. When was the last time you saw the wrong player being sent off? It happens so rarely. Let's change the rules just for this. You know, we get into like the whole American football type thing. Ah, you know what? It's a little mistake. It's not that big a mistake. Arsenal were beaten anyway. Who cares? Johnson. Sturridge back heel. Suarez. 4-2. Beautiful. And absolutely deadly. SAS strike again. Nine goals in this game, and I will read you the headline from Tony's column today. Football's present taste for attacking risks a backlash against beauty. Uh, is this Cardiff-Liverpool game an example of what you're talking about in your column? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's the madness. No one can defend. Everyone's going forward, and it's all great. Nine goals in the game. But you know what? It's like, I don't know, it's a bit like junk foods, isn't it? You know, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit unsatisfying. There's no roughage there. No, that's probably a really bad analogy. No, we're, 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 the game's unbalanced, right? And we're, we're, my contention is what what happened is Mourinho, uh, who probably won the only team in the league that can defend mm. properly, 
in, in the Premier League. You know, if they win the league now, the next generation of coaches will have a, 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 an eye on that and they'll think, oh, you know what? It's a, that's the way to do it. And invariably, when these things happen, like when Wenger come in and his side played brilliant football his first first couple of teams, everyone took the, the pace and the power out of that without the skill and matched it. So we got this like this 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 Premier League where it was all like get the, you know athletic young men competing for the first ball, winning the second ball, and there wasn't a lot of style and class in it. And people take the worst bits of Mourinho, the defensive bits, and you know and they think it's a way to to, to win games. And or kill games, and and there'll be a backlash. You know, it becomes sterile because everything's always cyclical. And at the moment, we're at, we're at probably a high point of defenders are like Kieran Gibbs. You know, it's a, who cares about defenders? Let's get forward. And I, I, you know, the game needs more balance. The game, the game needs more balance. We we chatted me and Tony yesterday after we was watching the games, weren't we? Mm. And we and how bad? I mean, you, you mentioned Cardiff and Ole Gunnar Schelsko. He's a, a young guy. He's been given an opportunity. And I remember his first press interview, and he talked about how he wanted to play, the adventurous style, moving, and he'd been brought up in a Man United way. And I kept thinking, well, that's fine, but you're a young manager and you want to play a certain style, great. But the bottom line, you've got to be able to defend, especially, especially to stay up. I saw the defeat at Hull. I went to the Cardiff Hull game. And it stood out for me how bad his team had no idea how to stop the opposition. And I think he's very typical of a lot of people giving games, especially in England, giving managers jobs who can't defend. They don't seem tactically aware. They lost 4-0 to Hull at home, and four of the goals were all the same way, the same vein of scoring, was people unopposed, free on the ball, allowed to get their head up, find a pass, they'll deliver. And that was a common theme of Cardiff. When they played Liverpool before the game on Saturday, I think everyone to a man thought, how many are Liverpool going to get? Mm. You know, it was how many are Suarez and Sturridge. And it wasn't rocket science. And yeah, they ended up getting 6-3. But it was, very, to me, it typified what is happening in the game at the moment with managers. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for me, that's going to be his downfall. Uh, all right. From, from Ole to Ole, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just a really bad manager with no real concept of tactics? Well, I, I thought watching Cardiff in the first half of the season, or no, I'll say the first third of the season, under Mackay, they looked very organised. They looked organised almost to a fault in, the, in that they were sort of in a straight jacket and, and I mean, they didn't look like they were going to concede many goals. They, didn't look like they were going to score an awful lot of goals and a lot of their games at home were very, very... Uh, were very very tight. Exceptions being two two and two two against um, Man United, three two against um, Man City. But they they didn't look like one of those teams that were just going to concede bucket loads of goals. And Solskjaer's come in, and I think I'm right in saying they've conceded twenty in nine games since he's come. Uh, obviously, an awful lot of those were on um, on on Saturday. But they just look leaky, vulnerable in the same way that Arsenal perhaps seemed on. Um, Okay, but is it because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is bad? Can you help me understand this? Because, I mean, it looks terrible to me when I see it on television, but then even that stat that you brought out, if they've conceded 20 in nine games, well, you could take Liverpool and Hull out of it, and then they've conceded 10 in seven games, which is pretty good for a newly promoted side. But it, but it shows conceding six and, and, and four in, in separate home games, which certainly isn't good. I mean, you can say, well, if you're going to lose to Liverpool, you might as well lose 6-3 as lose... Um, Three nil, but I, I think if you look at the first half of the season, you could say Medel, Corker, um, 
Tierfield, Catherine looked really good signings. They looked, you know, they, they looked a fairly solid team. They don't look like that now. If they're going to stay up now, it's going to be by scoring bucket loads of goals. And, and they don't particularly look like a, a team that is going to win matches scoring bucket loads of goals. Uh, you know, it would be quite a sad story in, in many ways if, if, if Cardiff go down. But, it, but I think sympathy for, for that regime would be pretty low because I, I, I think... Vincent Tan, it basically has become the Vincent Tan story, which which was the great fear at the start of the season. Enough, Cardiff. Those same allegations you could probably direct at Liverpool that they don't defend stoutly and they score too many goals. Well, no, you can't score too many goals, <laughs> but you can defend. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, my, I spoke to Tony Barrett on um, on uh, Saturday night, and you know, sort of uh, analysis of the game in a nutshell: six good, three bad. And and to be fair to Brendan Rodgers, he wanted defenders in the transfer window, and they never got him any. You know, he doesn't fancy the, the ones they got him last summer. And when you look at them, you can see why he rather have a much more solid back four so yeah I think that's something to work on during the summer but I mean as as for going forward I mean you know they're, they're outrageous aren't they Suarez and Sturridge you know what, what? how can you stop them what can you do and I think if if, if results go the way you know sort of they look as if they're going to go I think it'll be spectacular when you see Mourinho uh, next month coming mm. to Anfield with three games left in the season needing something and having to stop Suarez and Sturridge that'll be one of the great showdowns in the, of the last few years mm. if it, I, I think they've scared a lot of the teams you know the top sides I think Liverpool and what Man City will look at them and think Chelsea are going to go there I think they'll be afraid they know that these two players and add that with Henderson's you know ability to get forward and Sterling's developed into a better plan nowhere mm. near Coutinho's a clever footballer he has his days where he can be brilliant as well and I think there's just a, such a confidence. I mean, when you play in a team and you look at certain individuals that can win your matches so readily, as Suarez and Sturridge do, it just it just spreads through the team. And Liverpool will outscore teams. I think the greatest... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
thing is going to be is I, I think the Chelsea game is going to be a real defining moment. We know what Liverpool have got. Who's going to come out victors in that particular game? I think it's a really good good matchup to see how that will develop. Oli, one point that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made, and to be fair to him, is that actually at one point Cardiff were were two one up, and then there was a corner kick, and the referee made two Cardiff players leave the pitch. And he used that as an excuse for 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 Skirtle's equalizer. Since you seem to be more <laughs> since you seem to be more familiar with uh, laws and procedure than we are today, it doesn't seem normal that two people go off the pitch. Yeah, you you, you put the ball back in play at that moment with a team uh, two players down. Now, isn't there something that somebody could have done to avoid the situation? Well, again, it's it's, it's real grey areas in, in the in the rule book. I mean. It, it, are players meant to go off for treatment, or is the game meant to be stopped for you know, for players to have treatment? It, it's, it gets stopped all the time. It's not just head injuries. The game gets stopped all the time for players to have treatment. So, quite why the play should continue when when a, a team has has got two players off the pitch having treatment? I mean, it's 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 you know it is unfair. But then again, I mean, how did how many players did Liverpool have in the penalty area? Is that necessarily the reason why Skirtle scored? I, 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 well, Solskjaer seems but, to think so. Yeah, I know, but I mean, it is the type of thing that any manager will will, will always just cling to. I mean, it, 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 it's a valid claim. I, I just don't know whether it's you know, I, it, it's a reasonable claim. I don't know. I, I just don't know whether it's correct. But I think in those circumstances, maybe Cardiff's players have to be a bit stronger. Maybe Cardiff's manager and bench have to be a bit stronger, and you know, manage the manage the referee uh, and manage the officials a bit better. And I absolutely hate saying that. Surely there's a thousand and one things you can do to buy yourself time for your injured guys to come back on. And surely Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he played, if I'm not mistaken, he played for a manager who was rather wily and successful himself. Is that something you can stick on Solskjaer? You're too certain extent, but I mean, and when you see the guy's taking the free kick, why don't you just get somebody going stand over the ball and well, move exactly. his arms until he gets booked, right? I mean, exactly. But again, you'd expect the players to have a, a, the gumption to do that sort of thing. I, I, I mean, I just think that the, the rules are daft. I mean, you know, th- this rule that you got to leave the pitch, you know, if if you go down and then sort of get the referee to invite you back on, you know, I mean, it's what. Twenty five, twenty years old, isn't it? You know, because uh, it, it, it was introduced to stop people wasting time. And I think I think we're beyond that, and the referees should have the gumption and the common sense to see when people are wasting time and situations where they're wasting time. That wasn't a time wasting situation. So I mean, I just think it's all a bit daft. But yeah, you'd expect the manager and the players to have more common sense to not let this situation happen. It's one thousand games, and obviously Arsene Wenger. Certainly didn't want to celebrate it this way, but it is a ridiculous achievement. 1,000 games with the same club in the English game. He's only the fourth manager uh, to, to achieve this. And Now, do you remember football before Wenger in this country? You remember, Cascarino. You played, played football before <laughs> Wenger in this country. Was he somebody who just came in, did things very differently, and it influenced other clubs, or was he a guy who came in, did things differently, and it was mostly about his own club? Well, he did many things differently. I think he came in with a calm approach, something that we just didn't believe that managers acted like. You know, we I remember the likes of Jim Smith at Oxford and some of his dressing room sort of well, just eruptions that you'd be next door in the away dressing room listening to, and very typical of the type of manager that was very angry, very vocal, very 
demanding of his players, he come in and was quiet. And then that brought in, which is not really rocket science, it's a good regime that when I went to France in 94, they were already doing quite quite for a number of years where you were healthy, you looked after yourself, which many players in the 70s and 80s and who became managers later in their career carried on to do. You know, that bonding sessions, as they were called. So he brought things that to the table. Some of them, like I said, weren't rocket science. Um, a style of football. He brought very good players technically, very fast players, and put them together, and it worked fantastically well. So, yeah, he's, he's brought things to the game. His style of football has always been adventurous. He never plays the game in any other way. These teams always try and get goals. I know Saturday you could argue that that wasn't the case, but they do play a style of a brand of football. I was lucky enough that he was at Nancy. Uh, I knew people that knew Arsene Wenger at Nancy Football Club who spoke about him uh, and his vision of the game. Uh, and he brought it forward. And a bit like what Tony touched on earlier about cloning, People have managed, and there's many managers in the game today who speak about the influence of Wenger on them, what he brought to the table, and they've copied him. People like Brian McDermott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same deja vu of what Leeds United are doing. But, Can you name somebody else, please? Uh, well, there's not, quite not a Brian few. McDermott, I mean, Marta, Martinez. Martinez no, is a great visionary. Well, for it's what, a good point what, because, I mean, what, what, what happens was, and, and sort of for, for those who don't remember it, <laughs> Uh, and, and you talk to all the former Arsenal players, and they, they, they say what, what what he did is he wasn't a coach; he was a physiologist. He made them do everything faster than they'd done before. So all of a sudden, you, you got this team now doing things at 100 miles an hour, but they're doing them crisp. They're technically brilliant. They were big and strong, and they, and you know, and they they, they they did they changed the nature of the game here. I mean, you know, the Wenger revolution changed the way the game was played. And unfortunately, people well maybe Brian McDermott, I think less. I'll go with Martinez. No, but there's but, a number of them. But, but yeah, I mean, well, let's look at Allardyce. Allardyce took what we say, not, not the negatives, they took the physicality, the power and the pace, but didn't have the skill and could match them with that, that way. You know, it's um, the Wenger's teams played with, with great, you know, great beauty and, you know, say great precision. The teams who took uh, sort of 60% of what Wenger was doing tended to do it with brute force. And so, you know, became the evil twin of Wenger's beautiful vision. Ollie? Well, I mean, people, I mean, it's interesting, people, people talk about Wenger's influence and invariably they, they, they do come down to the sort of cracking down on the booze culture, cracking, you know, introducing, uh, well, you know, white meat. And, <laughs> I'm not saying you introduced white meat or fish to the country. It happened slightly before. Yeah, that was Joseph Engloss. But they, um, that is such a small aspect of it because he was. Um, I mean, the, the football is, is really what changed. I mean, that that um, that Arsenal team of the late nineties, the you know, team with Gerrard, Henri, etc., Bergkamp was just was just ridiculous. I know, I know people talk about the invincible, the, the invincibles team, but the, the title winning team in ninety eight and ninety and, and two thousand two, and God knows how they didn't win it. Um, at least once in the three years in between. It shows how good Man United were at that time. But for, for those you know, six or seven seasons, really, between between his arrival and, and 2004, um, they were just brilliant. And brilliant to watch. Powerful, um, but so graceful as well. And, and, you know, horrible in some ways. I mean, it, it, you know, the yellow cards, the red cards, all the tackles, the descent, the, you know, the way they'd um, rub up referees the wrong way. But... but just brilliant to watch on a ball. Just on Joseph Engloss and 
Do we're here to celebrate Arsene Wenger, but please no, go ahead. No, it's, it's a valid point because he came he came to Villa Park when I was there, and we went to Hong Kong on a trip. And he did a meeting and said, OK, lads, we're doing the training on these particular days. We're playing our games and all this. And he went on for about five or ten minutes of what we needed to do and stopped and said, thank you. And Jim Walker said to him, you need to tell the lads they can't go out and whispered to him. Like, and he said, why? He said, no, you need to tell them they can't go out because they will go out. He was shocked and amazed about the... Co- why would I need to tell professional athletes that they can't go out? They... They, they should be disciplined to their, you know, their sport. And, and that was very, Arsene Wenger was very that way in mind. And someone, no, someone, someone said something to me from one of the Arsenal back four. Martin Keown said to me, one thing that fell in Arsene Wenger's lap, when they joined Arsenal, the culture at the football club was a Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon club of drinking. The booze culture was horrific at that time when he joined. But they were all at a perfect age for him where they were coming and facing the end of their careers as well. They're all in their early 30s. So he comes to a football club with a new idea and then wants to give them new deals. He puts them on new deals, improved contracts, because they're all relatively quite poorly paid at Arsenal Mm. in their success under George Graham. So he comes in with these new ideas. And also, they're facing the the end. A few of them are looking at the careers thinking, two, three years' time down the line, I'm going to be gone from this football club. And, and it all fitted quite perfectly for Wenger to come in at that time, be a visionary and see things and have that group, that particular group of lads with him. I, I'm interested in another aspect of Tony about him is his evolution. I mean, when I sat down with him in, a few years ago when, in writing the Italian job, he talked about how 4-4-2 was the most efficient way of playing uh, because you covered most areas of the pitch and the most important, right? and he had all these stats and numbers to back it up. And then... What does he do? He starts playing 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. He starts going, you know, mm-hmm. after that. Which, I mean, I take it as a sign of intelligence, a guy who then goes and, and changes the system. Um, is he any more or less sort of orthodox today than he was? Is he more flexible, more of a pragmatist today compared to, 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 to 10 years ago? Because that's one of the accusations that's often thrown up against him is that he's not pragmatic. Well, I, I, I think it's less that than um, he's been groping around for a plan B. Because when, indeed, people caught up with the physicality and pace of his teams and stopped them doing that, he's never really developed uh, a new way of playing that, a new identity where you can dominate teams. They still lose to, well, not lose, they still struggle with teams who, who, who match them that way. But is it, sorry, but, sorry, Tony, if I jump in, Tony, but isn't that almost by design? Because... I, I, I did this count a few years ago, but sort of pound for pound, as players are getting bigger, stronger, and more athletic, Arsenal players are getting smaller and lighter. I mean, and he, he bought, he acquired most of these guys. So, mm. you see what I'm saying? Like, in, instead of going for a Vieira type or a Petit type, just even in terms of physical model, he went for an Arteta type. Yeah, and, and obviously he was trying to uh, develop a, a different sort of game, which you know has worked well enough to keep them in the top four. It's worked well enough to keep the money pouring into the Emirates, but it, it hasn't really... Well, he hasn't replicated the, the glory of that first team, has he? Those first teams. So but I'd say it's less pragmatic than an, an attempt to develop a new identity which hasn't 100% worked. Ollie, is it a failing of his? Because we heard from, from Cascarino about how he came in and he, he got the players on board with new contracts and showed them he could extend their career. Now, sort of, you look over the last seven, eight years from Ashley Cole to Samir Nasri to Adebayor to Colo Toure to Robin Van Persie to Cesc Fabregas, it seems as if 
players can't wait to get away from him and go join other clubs. Part of it, of course, is down to money, but surely players aren't that greedy and be like, oh, no, I don't want to live on 100 grand a week at Arsenal. I need to have 150 grand a week somewhere else, right? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I, I would say he has been, and Arsenal have been, a, a major victim of the, of the, you know, changing uh, financial landscape of, of the Premier League and, and of European football, but particularly the Premier League. I mean, the, the idea of Arsenal losing not only players to Barcelona, which is understandable, but, but losing Van Persie to Man United um, at his peak, or, yeah, probably, yeah, probably at his peak. Clichy and... Um, and Nasri to Manchester City, losing Ashley Cole to, to, to Chelsea. I mean, that just shows how things have changed because if you go back 10 years, Ferguson always wanted to buy Vieira. As soon as he sensed Roy Keane was uh, on the way down, he tried to get Vieira. He tried, I think, two summers running and couldn't get him. And, and it was impossible to get those players out of, out of Arsenal at that time. And things have changed. And Arsenal, having moved to the Emirates to... You know, to be richer, supposedly to be able to compete with 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 the biggest clubs in in the Premier League, have ended up less able um, to compete. I mean, it's generated a lot of money, but it's not generated so much that it's enabled them to keep players when Manchester City and why not and Chelsea and Manchester United can Well, they have 142 million pounds in cash reserves and short-term deposits in the bank, right? Yeah, but they but that's they, on their account. They, I, I would say one one thing is, is that they've made serious errors in terms of their valuation of players, a, a sort of idealistic socialist wage structure, as, as Wenger has described at times, where the difference between you know the wages of a, a sort of Danielson or a, or a Senderos or a Bentner were, were not vastly different to the wages of, of the top earners. That was completely flawed. Ollie, Ollie, he he wouldn't be in a job now. He's it, what he's achieved is keeping him for the last, what, six, seven years. What he achieved in the, the mm. opening years of his fantastic reign at Arsenal. It's kept him on board with the club. They built a new stadium and he played a big part in that. But I, I, on the football pitch, if he'd have start, you know, if we'd looked at his last 500 games, he'd have been out of a job a long time ago. Great manager, but the will from the top, and that means Kroenke, is not to win. The will from the top is to make uh, reasonable amounts of money, and as long as in the Champions League, and Wenger's admitted trophies are secondary, and I think, actually, that's anti-football person. All right, time now for some quick hits. Manchester City stomp all over 10-man Fulham with Yaya Toure grabbing a hat-trick. Tony, if they win two and draw one of their games in hand, they're top. Are they the best team in the Premier League? Mm, they should be. They're the best squad. Um, they have all the potential to uh, win it. I'm rather surprised they're not, uh, they're not top now, even with... They've played three fewer games. Even playing three fewer games. They've thrown away silly points. If they don't win the league with that squad, I think there'll be a massive inquest in the summer. And uh, I, I, I think they'll be very, very disappointed. Mm. Two wins on the trot for Manchester United. Something we hadn't seen since January. Ollie, care to compare Rooney's effort from the halfway line to Beckham's? And uh, what do you make of this idea that United might be better without Van Persie? From an aesthetic point of view, I, I, prefer, I prefer the Beckham goal. It was, uh, you know, it was... It was you like his hair? Uh, I probably had the same hairstyle at the time, but it was 1996. I think, um, I think you know, half the country had, um, had that hairstyle. But, you know, I, I thought whether they're better off without Van Persie. I mean, he did score a hat-trick against Olympiacos only a few days earlier, so... Um, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that there is 
an enormous problem in, in trying to get really Van Persie and Mata, never mind Kagawa, um, Yanazai, into the same team, particularly if, as Moy seems to feel, that there has to be pace and, you know, well, he hasn't shown much of it yet, but he seems to feel that there has to be real wit about the way United play under him. Spurs storm back from a 2-0 halftime deficit to beat Southampton 3-2. Amidst all the negativity and all the mockery of Tim Sherwood, they are fifth. Cass, what percentage chance does our pal Tim have that he'll still be in, a char- in charge next season? Well, if you take the game Saturday and 2-0 down and very desperate in the first half, he had two holding midfielders, he changed things around, he turned the game around. I think that says a lot about what Tim managed to do on Saturday. Now, his record since he's been a Tottenham manager isn't bad. He's done, he's done pretty well for, for someone that's, you know, brought in Adebayor, got him goals. Saldado looked far better. Um, I think Tim's really hanging on the line. I think it's going to be these last, what, eight, nine games to Give go. Give a percentage chance, a number. I think it's a coin flip, a total coin flip. So 50-50? Yeah, I do, yeah. I think All it's a right. coin flip. Southampton boss Mauricio Pochettino was very unhappy with the officiating, and in particular, Roberto Soldado on Dejan Lovren. Tony, you used to referee, and you did so in East L.A., no less. What's your take? And also, any idea why the guy who translates for Pochettino talks so fast? <laughs> no, well, let's start with the referee, and that's the easier one. I, my, my take on this was uh, it's comedy defending. Uh, I don't think there was, there's a foul there. And I thought Lovren's reaction was absolutely superb. You know, he talks about going down, he and, and then he talks about chasing. He couldn't decide. You know, a, a classic case of a defender being caught in two minds. And the ball's nicked away. Uh, why does the translator talk too fast? I don't know. It's, um, has he been drug tested? <laughs> Good point. Swansea lose at Everton 3-2. Now, since sacking Michael Laudrup, Ollie, your pal Gary Monk have won, has won only once in his last nine league games. Um, what's his problem? And do you think they wish they had Laudrup back? I don't think they do wish that. I mean, they, they just seem to be drifting. Monk, I mean, I, I thought that first, uh, that, that game at Cardiff, I, I thought he, um, that game against Cardiff, I thought he got it spot on there, but they seem to be drifting again. And they need they need points because at the moment, all it will take is for England to win their games in hand or, or even one of those games in hand. And, and Swansea are, are going to be right in it. Massive win for Norwich as Alex Teddy scores a ridiculous goal. Uh, Cass, how difficult is it to do what he did? And have you ever scored one like it? And I suspect you have. Mm. Yeah, I know you're just doing this to ridicule me, aren't you? You know I've never got a goal like that. Didn't you score? No, I, I, I have a vague recollection of a volley from outside the box from you. <laughs> Against two. <laughs> I don't remember. Gab, no. Never done anything even close to it. I would have controlled that. I would have not even tried to attempt it to shoot from there like he did. An amazing goal. Do, you, goal do you not making. practice that? Is it not something... Uh, well, it's a bit instinctive, you know. Yeah, you do. of course you have training sessions, you try ridiculous efforts, and 99.9 of the times they go miles in the corner flag or into the terraces. Um, it's one of them that he'll get. Will he get again? Probably not. But fantastic to see. So you've never scored a volley. What, what am I it remembering It might be in this? training. I might have got one once. Okay, I, 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 I haven't I seen a YouTube video of you in training. No. That's why I'm asking. I've never got a goal like that. Never even close to getting a goal. Have you ever scored from outside the box? Yeah, I scored a header at South End. <laughs> Do you remember the goal for Mark Haitley got for AC Milan, the header? Yes, the one where he climbed all over. Fulvio Colovac. I got yeah. a goal exactly like that for, for Gillingham against Southend, and I loved it. Except I imagine the uh, Southend centre half who was covering you was not a World Cup winner. Yeah, Gabby, here's one for you. 
the cat fight that they call the classical. What do you make of it? I thought it was a fantastic, entertaining game. Um, obviously, there was gamesmanship and, and incidents, but I don't think it dominated the game. I think the game was dominated by skill. Uh, Iniesta's goal, Di Maria's crosses, that outrageous pass from uh, uh, Messi to set up uh, Neymar for when he got sent off. Referee made one enormous blown call um, on uh, when he awarded Cristiano's penalty, which was clearly outside the box. Uh, you can debate the, I think, the Iniesta penalty and the um, and the Neymar sending off, but I think those are pretty much coin flip decisions in the modern game. And you're shaking your head. Neymar sending off, Ramos sent, sending off. Well, I said the, yeah, the Ramos on Neymar. Ah, you didn't say Ramos on Neymar. No, I didn't. Thank you, Mr. Pedant. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you to my guests, Tony Gascarino, Tony Evans, and from beautiful, scenic Rippenden, the 17th best place to live in England, it's Ollie Kay. Every single week, you can catch all the Premier League action via the Times app, so please download it now. You can also check out thetimes.co.uk, follow us on on Twitter. Uh, We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.